Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. I am so blessed to be a podcaster. I love talking to all of my wonderful guests and the people who have so kindly agreed to be on FASD Hope. And today I am speaking with Chris Trout. Chris, I saw you uh, on ProofCon 2020. You gave an amazing presentation um, and you inspired me and I reached out to you and asked if you could come on FASD Hope and talk about some of the things you you were sharing at ProofCon 2020. So uh, Chris Trout, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you so much. I appreciate it for me. And uh, we are going to talk about your journey. You have, I, I like to call the, the trifecta of the lived experience and the professional experience and the, the mission in the, in the ministry in you. You know, you, you have this amazing experience on, on so many levels of FASD and of working with those that have brain-based diagnoses. So I, again, I'm just so happy you're here. Um, your journey is, is an amazing one. And uh, I, I just want our listeners to hear how the Lord has used you in the community of FASD and of adoption and of trauma. So uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, how did your journey begin as an advocate for FASD and the FASD community and um, just can you share your experience? Well, our journey with FASD began with the adoption of our last child, who we adopted from Lithuania in 2007. Prior to her adoption, we were told that uh, she had FAS. Um, but whenever we brought her home and went to the International Adoption Clinic to do our medicals and and such, uh, we were told that that's probably not what it is. Um, They suggested maybe Williams syndrome or something else. Um, So we went through all the genetic testing and such to find out what exactly was going on. And ultimately it came down to that um, apparently it was fetal alcohol syndrome that we were, uh, that she was dealing with. So that was really our, our, First, um, prior to that, I had learned a little bit in college, but not very much. And um, when we brought her home, she had medical needs that needed to be taken care of. And what we realized pretty quickly was that the doctors, while they were very good at addressing her heart and her stomach issues and a few other things, there was really a lack of understanding of how that prenatal exposure to alcohol 
um, in early trauma had impacted her overall physical health. And then as she grew, uh, how it impacted her IQ and her ability to understand the things that they were saying to her. Um, our daughter's really good at saying that she understands something um, and nodding and even pretty good at repeating it back to them, but really having a full understanding of what they're trying to say. She really only understands that in part. And um, so it's just been a journey of trying to really help her have her best levels of success and then also meeting other families in that same place is really what drew us into this. Uh, it was a personal, a, a personal need. And because of profession, um, it, it just led us down this road. And so many of our previous guests have shared that there's a personal connection that has led to, you know, their professional, their vocation, you know, sure, in, sure. in FASD. So were you an LMFT prior to adopting your daughter? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes, I okay. was. So yeah. what, what kind of work did you do prior to, um, becoming, you know, involved? Prior to, sure. Prior to starting the Papillon Center, I worked at a large adoption agency just as their clinical coordinator at the time. So I was working with a lot of international families and um, both doing assessing of, of their adoption and then counseling post-adoption with that. And what did you see and did you, did you see a lot of families, you know, that had um, children that, you know, were suspected with an FASD or um, did, did that develop more as you worked more with families? Mm -hmm. It really developed over time. Um, I truly believe there's such a misunderstanding of prenatal exposure to alcohol that very often it's overlooked or misunderstood. I, I think that often when a child has the facial characteristics, um, it's pretty easy for people to agree that, that that may be what's going on. But whenever the facial characteristics are soft or um, not present, then it, it can often be overlooked. We know as professionals that less, I want to say the statistic is somewhere around only about 10% of those that have an FASD have those facial characteristics. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. So many families who were coming into the adoption process, which was just the part I was dealing with at the time, uh, were good families, well-meaning families, had the right heart going into it, but didn't understand exactly what was going on. And, and it really set the children up for failure as well, because the children were misunderstood. And um, uh, there was just a sense of hopelessness that we were seeing. And honestly, I just, I believe that God intends for so much more, that there's such a, a precious picture that he has in the adoption story as a whole. And to see so many families who were feeling broken and hopeless um, as a result of misunderstanding that prenatal exposure really is what prompted the beginning of the Papillon Center. Again, and you and I were talking before we started this episode, but it, it, really the way I genuinely believe that the way the Lord sees our children 
is different than the way the world sees our children. And um, when you learn about the science behind FASD, like you said, when you, when you understand more about prenatal alcohol exposure and you understand how it works, then you are able to, you know, meet them where they're at. You're able to accommodate, you're able to recognize their strengths. So I, I, I think that's so, um, so amazing, you know, that, that you were able to take those experiences and then create the amazing Papillon Center. So let's, let's talk about the Papillon Center. You've been in, um, it's been in operation for 10 years now. I know. Wow. Goodness, that is, the time has just flown. That is amazing. That mm-hmm. is amazing. So let's talk about the Papillon Center from the beginning in 2010, you know, and sure. then how it's developed through, through to now. Sure. Well, it really began as two moms who had adopted children from hard places. Both of our children were prenatal exposed to alcohol and um, had different needs than some of the other children did. And we were had an understanding and worked with families who were feeling very hopeless. And um, God just really laid it on our heart that there would be a place where families could be understood, really be instilled with just hope that they could be all that God called them to be and all that, that he wanted for them. And that's what really began. We, were, we began uh, just kind of uh, putting one foot in front of the other. We met with um, Double Arc. I drove up to Ohio and met with Sister Suzette Fisher um, and Sister Mary Sarter. And they ran Double Arc at the time. And... Uh, they really was looking for who in the country is working with the population that we feel called to and what are they doing and uh, not trying to recreate a wheel, but, but figure out what can we do that, that maybe brings what, what our expertise comes you know, into play and then what did they already learn that we can tag into or hop on board with. Uh, and one of the things that Sister Suzette Fisher really encouraged me at, um, because I, you know, whenever you're beginning something like that, you really begin to look at, okay, what do I need to do? And, and everything seemed a little insurmountable ahead of us. And she really just encouraged us uh, to just begin, just begin. And she um, encouraged us to take what we already knew and begin to serve people. And that's what we did. So we we filed our 501c3 and uh, set it up as a nonprofit and began serving families. Uh, we prayed a lot about exactly how we were supposed to start the center and uh, what our mission statement would be. And one of the things that came out of that for us was really making that shift to helping families, uh, bringing hope and healing to families that are in hard places. And we shifted that away from just uh, FAS or FASD, um, primarily because people don't always know when that's what they're dealing with. They don't always know that the struggles that their child is having or, or that they're having is a result of prenatal exposure to alcohol. 
but they do know whenever they're in a hard place and they know whenever they need hope, they're feeling hopeless. And so that's really how the center began. And that is a really great point you bring up because so often we as parents don't get an official diagnosis until much later in the game, if, if even at all. So um, I, I really appreciate what you're saying about not only, you know, FASD and brain-based diagnoses, but people, you know, families who are in hard places. Yeah. And, you know, when we're in the trenches and I read recently in a devotional that when we're in the darkest time and we can't see God's brightest light is just right there. So I really, I just think it's such a blessing how you're serving families, you know, in so many different capacities. So what are some of, you know, in addition to counseling and therapy and whatnot, I I noticed on your website, there, there are many things that you offer to families and to, to those individuals affected. What are some of the things that you, you all offer? Well, one of our favorite things or one of my favorite things that we offer is equine therapy. Uh, You know, often whenever uh, maybe we're struggling to connect with people, um, we can connect with animals and working with the horses has been such a neat program to watch it evolve over the years. Um, That's been something that uh, we we have had ongoing now for most of the 10 years that we've been in existence. Um, The kids will come out and do social skills groups that way. Uh, They'll learn techniques to help uh, help them regulate. And also for families, horses are great mirror images for whatever is going on with a person or with a family. And so a lot of times the families feel stuck. They can go out in the arena with a horse and that's just exciting to watch that play out. We offer support groups. Um, Right now, everything, of course, is virtual because of COVID. But um, we have, throughout the years, had support groups that are ongoing. Uh, One of my favorites that I have done for years now is called the Trauma Mama Group. And um, I love that group because it's moms after my own heart who love their babies, but who have been through considerable things. not only with their children, but with community as a whole and understanding what their their families needed. So they're a group of moms who really encourage each other and they have a private closed uh, Facebook group and then they get together a couple times a year. So that's that's a really sweet thing. I think that probably five states or so is involved in that now. So that's really exciting. We also offer advocacy where we have an education specialist that goes in and helps set up um, the best education uh, system for the child. Or maybe they're working on an IEP or a 504. Uh, our education specialist is incredible. She has also adopted a child from a hard place. And so um, she understands what it's like to be that mom but she was also a, t- uh, a special education teacher for 10 years. So she understands from the teacher's point of view as well. And I think she does an excellent job of going in and helping to equip teachers to, to serve their students as, as well as they can. And um, also help set up the IEPs or the 504s that would help 
meet the child's need um, based on what their own needs are. And then we have um, gone into court, been an advocate in court whenever that's needed. So wherever we can uh, serve our families, we try to do that. So it sounds like the Papillon Center is really in just about every aspect of, you know, the family's life, the home, social, emotional, spiritual, and even educational. Mm -hmm. Um, That's wonderful. Let's talk about what are just some barriers that you think that prevent families in hard places from being able to access care, such as the Papillon Center or, you know, other, other places. What are some things that you've noticed in the past 10 years that, that are barriers that we as a community can, can start addressing? Well, honestly, I think the first one that I've seen over the years is one of the most difficult to overcome. And that is when there's a sense of, of failure within the family unit itself. And in some way that they feel like they have failed as a parent or that in some way they failed as a person. And um, because what what they're doing isn't working and um, how they're parenting or maybe how they were parented, um, you know, because we typically parent how we were parented, uh, those techniques aren't working. And so there's that sense of failure that unfortunately will prolong someone from coming in to get the help that they need. Uh, that's, that's one of the, the big ones. The other thing that we see across the board, unfortunately, is that that understanding of what a family needs, that wraparound care that a family needs, there's a lot of barriers in that. And it could be financial constraints. It can be um, what the community as a whole understands and accepts as what the children need. It just can be difficult to get the professionals in the community to understand the complexities of FASG. So those are are honestly the two big ones that we see. Chris, you just so eloquently state that, you know, there there are so many complexities in, in a diagnosis such as an FASD compounded with trauma, compounded with, you know, being in a hard place. Um, And that if you ask 10 different professionals about an FASD and, and everything that, that comes along with it, I'm sure you'd get 10 different answers. So that awareness, that professional awareness Mm -hmm. and that community awareness is, is so key Mm -hmm. in overcoming those barriers. So it is, it's also part of the problem in, uh, raising the awareness of FASD is because there are so many different factors. It's not a real clear cut. Um, if you do this, this happens. <laughs> it's, there's Because it's so complex that um, it makes it a little more difficult for the community as a whole to have a better understanding. Absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, we are a society that is very much a, if a, then B kind of thing, you know, (laughs) versus an, if a, then, you know, B through Z, right. (laughs) You know, which is what, what we often encounter. So before we, we talk a little more about the Papillon Center, what do you think are important factors for serving individuals with an FASD or other brain-based diagnoses or Mm -hmm. with trauma or coming from hard places? 
Sure. It's always important for professionals, especially to continue to ask questions, to continue to educate themselves on that particular person and what that person needs, what that person sees as important to them and to meet them where they're at, what the family needs. To look from more of a holistic um, framework and uh, even when I say holistic, I, I don't mean that the medical field is left out of that. Um, what I mean by that is that we do have the medical field involved, but we also have uh, the community involved. We have the place of worship involved. We have the school involved. We have a, a whole team instead of just a piece of the puzzle. Definitely. That, that, that definitely is the key to, to, mm-hmm. to getting good care all around, you know, just again, like you said, addressing every facet. So the Papillon Center is a faith-based organization, which I love, you know, and, and my husband and I, we strongly believe in sharing our faith in our journey, as we know that many in the FASD and trauma-based foster care adoption community, they rely on their faith in their journeys. Um, as both, you know, your lived experience and your professional experience, why do you think faith is such an important part of a program like the Papillon Center that addresses FASD, that addresses brain-based diagnoses and, and everything else we're talking about? Well, uh, for me personally, I, there isn't a separation of the two. That's just who I am as a person. Um, I love the Lord with all my heart and um, serve him in the areas that he's placed me in. The center itself, just in organizing the center, we see the center as a place of faith and a place of healing. That is more about who we are as a people instead of the people that we serve. The people that we serve have the opportunity to uh, talk about the Lord all they want, and we will join them in that. Um, But if that's not where they're at, we meet them where they are. Um, But for us personally, we are people of faith and we take time each week to spend time in the word together and to pray together weekly. Um, The work that we do is hard work and that's a way that we support each other. Uh, We encourage each other in our faith. We help carry each other's burdens as therapists. Um, It's a safe place for us to share those burdens with each other and for us to um, collectively bring things to the Lord. Um, So that's, I don't, it's hard for me to even think about separating the two because it's just kind of how, how we work. It's who we are. Yes, yes, absolutely. Amen. And so many of us just, you know, we can't imagine being in this journey without the Lord. You know, I know I can't, and I know my husband can't. And it's actually the hardness, the hard places you're talking about, I believe, bring us closer to him. Um, Even though at the time we may not be, we're just trying to survive it. You know, we know, Mm -hmm. especially with that looking back kind of retrospect that we can say, oh, yes, you know, you definitely, I I definitely am closer to you, Lord. Uh, Our team talks about the importance of meeting people in those sacred places and about the fact that um, that's our call. You know, our, our call in our life is that. 
um, we've been called to meet people in those really dark, fragile places. Yeah. And our job is to um, love them and meet them where they are and to instill hope in that. You know, and as we, we've um, been blessed that people who didn't know the Lord have come to him and have to have learned more about him just by um, being a part of the center. And that's, that's always exciting. That is wonderful. I love hearing that. And as a mama, as, as a mom, you know, as a grandma, um, as a great grandma, mm-hmm. how has your faith brought you through your, your personal journey? I don't know what I'd do without him. (laughs) I think I can say that pretty easily. I don't know what I would do without him. Um, You know, he's, he's my rock and I have learned to lean on the Lord. And those times when I didn't have a clue what direction we were supposed to go in or um, what was the next step with a child, whether it's mine or someone else's. Yeah. Um, but really just trusting him to give me words in the moment or open doors that need to be opened or closed doors that are not doors that we were intended to walk through Um, to provide financially. um, You know, the center was set up on, on a dime, literally Uh, there wasn't uh, lots of, of funding that came through to start the center. It was okay, Lord, you called us, so we'll put our sign out and trust that you will take care of it. And he has. And um, both in our personal life and, and in the center. Amen. I can't imagine doing any of it without no, him. No, I know. I know. That's that's one of the biggest takeaways, I think, of our conversation. It's just, yeah, we, you, you get us, you, you get the Lord. That's right. That's <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. It's, it's a package. We went through, yes, as a family, we went through a dark time with our daughter a few years ago. She had open heart surgery. And um, as a result of her prenatal exposure to alcohol, her heart is severely uh, deformed mm-hmm. and um, really is a miracle that she has done as well as she has. Uh, but uh, to make a, a long story short, she ended up with um, an artificial heart valve and a pacemaker in her heart is now 100% paced. And even through that, uh, just to watch the Lord really bring her through uh, times that she shouldn't have made it. And not only that, but if you were to meet her today, you would never know. <laughs> she's, she's so full of life. And um, I think that, you know, God has placed her in my life to help teach me a few things. And that's one of them is that she just embraces life um, in the moment every day. Every day is a new day. That's just an exciting thing with the word style. I, I love hearing that. And it's so true that when you begin this journey and uh, when you don't know what, what's going on and you're learning what's going on, 
I found myself, you know, praying for change, you know, in, in, you know, a change in our, our, you know, okay, please, you know, Lord stop these, you know, what we thought were behaviors, which we knew were symptoms. And, and, you know, the one who needed to be changed was me, you know, yeah. the, the, the people who needed yeah. to be changed were my husband and I, because yeah. when you truly understand FASD and, and trauma and, and being in hard places, you know, the, the people you need to change are, are the people who are, you know, taking care were the right. caregivers, right. you know, so it, yeah. it's, it's a, it's an amazing transformation. Mm -hmm. So let's give some advice to those parents and those um, caregivers who are listening to us, who are beginning their journey or who just don't know what to do next. What advice can you give them as far as seeking programs or seeking places where they can start to, to learn and start to heal? I think the first one that I would say is to really challenge your expectations that you've set for your child. Um, what you really, really take note of that, really take the time to ask yourself, what expectations do I have um, for my child? And to challenge those, um, are they realistic or not? Um, my pastor said, and that expectations lead to frustrations. And I believe that that is so true. Um, but often those unmet expectations are ones that when we didn't even identify as um, expectations that we realized we had. Um, and we can get frustrated without really being able to get our finger on it. So that's the first thing that I really want families to do is I want them to ask themselves, what expectations do I have for my child? and then be willing to shift that bar based on what that child needs. I also wanna encourage family, grow your system to include the community around you um, and the people that will be supportive of your child you know, when you're not available. You know, with one of our children, we really, uh, we were thinking outside the box. Uh, we have a little cafe that's not too far from us and, and one of our children, would go and um, hang out. The, the older gentleman um, would sit around to a round table that we lovingly refer to as the liar's table. And uh, he would sit there with them. He was a teenager at the time, but they were older. And while his peers didn't always understand him, the older gentleman uh, welcomed him and loved on him. And before I knew it, he was cleaning out barns and doing other things. Um, but he found a community in, in those gentlemen and they loved on him and, and that was really helpful. And so think outside of the box of how do you connect your child with either uh, people who are older or younger than them that can um, be an encouragement to them. And then whenever you're looking for services, uh, be prepared to uh, educate and educate and educate. <laughs> Be prepared to educate everywhere, not only on what it means to be prenatal exposed to alcohol, but maybe trauma if, if that's part of your child's story, but also educate on your child. Because while we can, we can give um, some basics that most of our kids are going to deal with um, that are uh, on the FASD spectrum, there are things that will be unique to your child. And, um, be willing to uh, educate your professionals that you work with 
love that. I like to think about uh, there being someone in every arena of my daughter's life who gets her, who truly understands her, and who is her cheerleader when I'm not available. So that means she's got people at school who um, understand what uh, her capacities are. She's got people at her church who have extra eyes on her that um, understand when she might need an extra arm around her to pull her in a little closer or that, um, you know, she needs an understanding of something. Um, people in our community that uh, will help make sure that she has success. And so, just, uh, you know, I just really want to encourage families in that. And then the other thing I want to encourage families more than uh, probably just about anything else is that any time that we are in a hard place, whether it's our child or our family as a whole, it can be very taxing on the marriage and um, just individually. So really thinking about how do we take care of our marriage and how do we take care of ourselves as individuals? Um, because that is so, so important. And so I really wanna encourage families to to be willing to ask themselves, what do I need so that I can stay on this journey and, and not just survive it, but to thrive under it. Wow. What wonderful advice, Chris. I, I wish I had heard that advice about five, 10 years ago, <laughs> you know, but that's again, the reason why you're doing what you're doing and we're doing what we're doing is because we've learned these lessons and we want others to, to learn from the lessons that we've learned. Yes. So uh, amazing advice. I'm so blessed to be talking with you and just thankful for everything that you're doing through the Papillon Center and just through all of your experiences. As we wrap up this blessed conversation, I like to offer hope takeaways to our audience, you know, words of hope that people who are in the FASD community, whether they be parents or caregivers or anyone learning about FASD, or like you said, you know, families that are in hard places, mm -hmm. um, what words of hope do you have for them? Well, there's always hope. So that's, that's probably number one is, is there's always hope. Uh, keep your eyes on, on the Lord because whenever we look at circumstances, we're going to always ride the roller coaster of circumstances. But whenever we keep our eyes on the Lord, then we can see the bigger picture. And um, sometimes we can, we can get stuck on that roller coaster and uh, before we know it, we're sinking. And so I always encourage my clients, um, crank up the worship music and get your eyes fixed back on the Lord again and trust that he'll, he'll help provide wisdom or open doors or what you need um, to help find a way through whatever it is that you're going through. But be careful not to keep your eyes on the circumstances. That's right. That's right. And, and again, you know, when we're in the shadows, He's, he's the light that we, mm -hmm. we we're when we have our eyes fixed on the shadows, we need to fix our eyes on the light. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, such wonderful words of hope. So Chris, how can folks get in touch with you and, and learn more about the Papillon Center or if they want to make a donation or if they'd like to support you in some way or, or if they would like to learn more about your services, how can people get in touch with you? Sure, absolutely. The best way to get in touch with me personally is through email. 
my email at chris at papillioncenter.org. Um, that's the best way to get in touch with me. And then our website uh, is just www.papillioncenter.org. And there's uh, ways to get involved and uh, donations uh, there that, you know, we're certainly welcome anyone who has questions or is interested uh, in learning more about what we do. We're happy to, to answer that. And uh, just to sort of throw in a little plug there that we are interested in growing the center. And so looking at um, places that we can grow uh, throughout the country where there's unmet uh, services, when there's uh, unmet needs. That's wonderful. And I, and I forgot to mention that not only do you have the Papillon Center in Tennessee, but you also have your second center that you opened this year in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah super excited about that. Yeah, Lord just opened the doors and has been blessing it. I'm um, super excited to have a team there. Um, we have an FASD advocate there that was Miss Illinois uh, a few years ago. Wow. So I'm um, super excited about that. And yeah. Excited to see what all um, God continues to, to do in that site, uh, as well as we just moved uh, our Tennessee site, and they just had a big move, and so that's been been uh, really neat. Like I said, that we're looking at some of the, the states in the country that do not have services, and so we're, we're looking at expanding. So if you're out there and, and you want to work with Chris on getting the Pepion Center to your state, then, then reach out and find out what you could do. Because I was telling Chris before we, we started talking um, b- before this episode that there needs to be a Papillon Center in every state, <laughs> at least. Yeah, well, we think so. <laughs> I, I highly agree. I highly agree. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.